Totally Football Show. Oscar special and an eerie parallel of events in Los Angeles, stars gather at Wembley too to see largely unimportant honour awarded an event that goes on for hours. Was the Kepa controversy best comedy or drama? And will Chelsea soon be thanking the Academy as they feel the effects of their transfer ban? All that plus Leicester raising the corner flag picture of doom for Claude Puel, Messi's 50th hat-trick and very little mention of Man United Liverpool in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Bauer. Hello, listener. Who's in today's show? We've got Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. From kind of assorted media. You're on CNN in a bit, Carl. I will be, I will be. I'll Fingers in that. more pies than against this quality control specialist. Right, yeah, that works. Michael Cox, beloved author of The Mixer. That's it, that's the one. Also here, a man who can't stop doing books, Daniel Story. Three, good morning. Yes. Uh, you just got back from Old Trafford, I believe. Yes, uh, uh, what I assumed would be the big story of the day and then was suddenly eclipsed by events late on at Wembley. Well, injuries were the big story at Old Trafford, of course. Uh, Johnny Sharples tweeting humorously, uh, a fewer injuries in the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan than <laughs> the game between Man U and Liverpool. We'll, we'll touch on all that later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but between that and the League Cup final, we had two big games on Sunday that were low on goals, but, but high on incident, particularly. I mean, the key image of the game at Wembley... That lanky Spanish keeper waving off his irate Italian manager uh, just before the penalty shootout. Yeah, it was great drama at the end of a game that was kind of intriguing, but not particularly exciting, not big on incident, as you say. Um, but it was fantastic because I do think the uh, the League Cup finals are generally quite forgettable. I don't think you would really remember too many incidents about them over the last 10 years. But... Wait, who, uh, OK, so what was last year's League the Cup only, final? The only... The, uh, the my abiding memory of the League Cup final is is Arsenal losing to Birmingham with the kind of defensive mix up and was it Obafemi Martins? Yeah, yes, yes, it was. Yeah, right. Obafemi Martins. But I mean, that John was two thousand and eleven. John Terry's John Terry's concussion. Uh, the drama with Steven Gerrard, like he scored an own goal, and um, before he was going to go to Chelsea in two thousand. No, that's two thousand four. Yes, it was uh, a long time. Ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed the League Cup. I think as the the weird warped cousin of the FA Cup, it's got a lot more drama in because a lot of the bigger sides don't take it seriously till the later stages. Um, well, they they certainly were taking it seriously this weekend, particularly because it was billed as kind of Sarri's last stand. And before all the business at the end, he was coming out of it pretty well. Yes, I he slightly changed tactical profiles as compared to the demolition job that City incurred upon him the other week uh, Emerson filling in for Marcus Alonso at left back shored up them up at what has been a problem position for a long time David Luiz was doing good David Luiz where he sort of is being pressed and going alright I'll just play a long ball over your heads uh, and they looked relatively comfortable Eden Hazard was doing fantastic Eden Hazard things that make, will make me gravely miss him mm. when he departs so th- this was against a team that had beaten them 6-0 in the previous uh, meeting two weeks ago, and this time they took them, well, they, they held them at 0-0 for 120 minutes. Was the, the key reason, Michael? Well, they played in a completely different way, and, and I don't agree with this assertion that he came out of it well. It was an absolutely disastrous uh, game for Sarri. He played the Sarri way and he lost 6-0, and he plays the old-school Chelsea way and he draw 0-0. But against... I mean, I mean that's, his, that's his approach out the window. That's saying, OK, I'm not going to impose my approach here. I, you know, Chelsea haven't adjusted to me. I've adjusted to Chelsea. I, I mean, what's the point in him being there? They might as well get Mourinho or Conte or Benitez in. They appointed Sarri to play in a completely different way. And, and it's clear that that's not going to happen. It might have been a one-off. They might have said, let's just do this for the trophy. But no, I, I think that was, even before the Kepa incident, I think that was not the beginning of the end, because I think the beginning of the end was, was when he said he couldn't motivate the players, but mm. the, the middle of the end for me. Right, okay. It was a defeat even before the defeat. I think so. And that's not to say that they didn't play well in this game. You know, I thought they were defensively solid. He showed he could do that side of things. It was pretty much Hazard on his own in attack, but Hazard is just wonderful and, and had a couple of moments of magic. But in terms of going forward, no, that's that's the Chelsea players or the Chelsea hierarchy or whoever saying that, you know, we don't want Surrey ball and... Uh, and I felt quite sorry for him, really, despite, mm. uh, you know, even before the, the Kepa incident. It would be interesting to see how they play against, against <laughs> Tottenham in midweek because he could do with an easy home game so he could go back to his Sarri system and try and make that work again. Actually, he, he's now almost damned if he doesn't and damned if he does because if he plays the same way, Michael's right, everyone will say, well, this isn't what we signed up for. It's certainly what, it's not what Sarri made them sign up for. 
Um, but actually, that's probably going to be their best chance of frustrating Tottenham mm. again, isn't it? So it's a, it's a really, really big game for Sarri. Who else felt sorry for Sarri uh, in the Kepper incident? Because I saw a lot of people yeah. saying, did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, must yeah. admit, I, I did not. But, Michael, you'd already, you were already waiting for him to bring on Caballero because of his penalty-saving exploits of the past, no? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a great record on penalties and indeed three years ago had won... City this final uh, with three saves, I think, in that three, final, yeah. wasn't it? So um, for me, the big factor is whether Sarri was in, it was incorporating that into it. You know, if it was a tactical thing, mm-hmm. if it had been pre-planned, and especially if Kepa had been aware of it, then for Kepa to overrule him, I think, is beyond the pale. If Kepa was under the impression that he was only being substituted because of an injury, I think Kepa is has some input into say I'm okay yeah the fact that he went that far and, and was literally refusing to get off the pitch obviously I think it's still pretty poor form but I think there's a big difference between a purely tactical substitution and an injury substitution so the Chelsea bench call cool for him to come off they've got Caballero stripped down and he's going to come on mm. and Kepa just refuses to go yeah. David Luiz comes over and speaks to him he still refuses to go mm. uh, Aspilicueta comes over and talks to him he doesn't budge and then he basically the last three minutes of extra time he plays that out and then he goes over and and Sarri has to be held back from confronting him. Rudiger goes over and almost literally holds him back from from exploding. So this this is my issue about Sarri because afterwards it was all explained away as a misunderstanding that essentially Sarri thought he had cramp and he didn't have cramp, so he said, no, I'm fine, I'll stay on, and that was fine. But it was clear that Sarri wanted to bring him mm-hmm. off and that Sarri was so upset. And you could see Zola saying to him, go on, take him off, take him off. Once you made your decision, you have to follow through with it. Unless you're not that bothered... In which case, you don't then rip your training top off, storm as if you're going to actually march out of Wembley before the game's even over, and then have to be held back from confronting your player. I think if you lose your temper that way, after you've not got what you wanted, it's clear that you have no authority. Oh, and I think that's probably true. I think, he, I, think yeah. he, I think he was more annoyed about the loss of authority and being made to look stupid than the actual lack of substitution of the goalkeeper, I, I would say. And I, So why didn't he take I feel off? So, because well, he didn't it? want. Well, th- there are rules about this, which yeah. is that the rules are that if a player refuses to come off, the referee carries on with play, and yep. you know a manager cannot just. If we imagine the alternative scenario, which is that Sarri come literally walks onto the pitch and drags off his goalkeeper, mm. I think that becomes an even bigger story than than this has become already. No, okay, he doesn't do it himself, but surely someone like the, the captain should. But he's, this, he's this annoyed. Is, this is the greater yeah, question of why. What is David Luiz and Aspilicueta doing? Um, as as the two senior players, so Kepa is is a Chelsea new boy. We we talk about the Chelsea player power and how they've historically um, the players have overruled and done whatnot. Kepa's only been there for a couple of months. The fact that he, the new man who's just been brought in to play on the Sari, is doing this is also another. Hang on, what? Yeah. If it if it was say uh, an old guard member of Chelsea standing by and going, I don't want to go off. That could be somewhat understandable. I think it's the fact that Kepper is a new player who's largely been regarded as a, the, a great professional. And this is seemingly out of character for him based on most reports of his time in Spain. That adds an, an extra degree of confusion to what's going on. This this most likely is just an honest misunderstanding between player and manager. And Sorry, probably didn't want to overplay his hand by going on and physically dragging him off. Sure. But the fact that a senior player in Chelsea isn't doing that job for him, the fact that the one player who's, who seemed to have enough emotional intelligence to hold a player back was Rudiger to hold back the manager, says to me that the inmates are running the asylum and mm. there is great chaos and turmoil within Chelsea. And I think the damaging thing, as much as Kepa refusing to come off, was Sarri losing his temper in such a visible fashion that, that's i mean that's that is a break that's something that's not based just on one that instant that's based sure. on the the internal politics at chelsea which he's suggests the pressure. that yeah and he feels that he's been sold a pup because he thinks that he was brought in to do a job that the club and his senior players are making more difficult whenever he should expect everyone to pull in the same direction but the sign of a manager not just losing their temper not just throwing a water bottle or kicking a whole load of them or smashing the the dugout or whatever managers have done in the past but actually walking away from his team when they are in the crucial final minutes of a uh, of a final and then having to be kind of fetched to to address them in the kind of pre penalty shoot huddle just speaks enormously about the disconnect between him and Chelsea's ambitions yeah, I agree. But I think in a way that's 
that's why people do feel sorry for him because I think that the, the players have conspired against him. And I think, you know, it's worth pointing out that this is a guy who hasn't actually won a trophy before in his career. It was the first final he'd ever been involved in. So two minutes from the end, you've got a chance to bring on a, a penalty-saving specialist, which may have proved crucial considering that Kepa uh, on one penalty really didn't make a good job of it. You can understand why he was so upset. Do you not think he could have forced Forced Kepa a substitution? Off? Yeah. I think it was difficult without the clear intervention of one of the the captain or, or one of the other players. Mm. I'm not quite sure in a literal process mm. how you pass the message on if the goalkeeper's standing on his and box it, and, and the manager's in the technical area. You need someone on the pitch to, to intervene and get him off. All right. And if and if he had gone on to, to, to speak to Kepa, that would have been, I mean, hilarious to watch, but he would have got, what, a yellow card? Well, he would have got... He'd have been sanctioned. It would have also, more importantly, made him look like, you know, he'd, on a, on the literal stage, it would have looked like he was. We were seeing internal arguments that should be kept behind closed doors. Right. The, the whole reason for the post-match explanation, whether we believe it or not, was, look, I'm not going to wear my dirty laundry in public here. I've got enough problems with with the media predicting and reporting upon my downfall, and I'm not going to make that situation worse because, as he says, he still believes he's, he's got a job to do. OK. A job which sees him three points off the top four with a game in hand, uh, through to the next round of the Europa League after Thursday's 3-0 win over Malmo. And this midweek, as you mentioned, Daniel, taking on Spurs in a clash between a side who've done nothing for the last two transfer windows with a side who will do nothing for the next two <laughs> transfer windows. Thanks to... Chelsea's transfer ban. We'll be addressing that and other weighty topics after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. We've yet to see where all this will leave Sarri. Where does it leave Kepa? I, am, I imagine he'll be dropped for the Spurs game. I imagine he'll, drop, he'll be dropped for at least one game as a sort of, I still am the ruler of this land. Um, Kepa's a very unique situation because Kepa is the world's most expensive goalkeeper. He is, by all accounts, the best goalkeeper they on the market for what they've use got. The money to buy. Oh no! Yes, <laughs> quite. The Sari project may have been critically undermined by this upcoming transfer ban. I imagine Chelsea will appeal and get at least one window so they can do something. But is that something to let Sari play football, or is that something to get another pragmatic, concrete football manager in so they can? keep doing the short-term Chelsea thing. Michael, you're going to make the case that this is actually not necessarily bad news for Chelsea. I agree. First of all, I don't think Kepa will be dropped, actually. I think that would just be extending the situation. I think it would be better for Sarri if he just moves on. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, Chelsea have continually won the Youth Cup. They've got about 60 players out on loan, some of whom are very talented. It is a good opportunity to to bring in fresh talent and there are clubs who do need that kind of excuse to do that. So whether it will happen, I don't know. But uh, I think football and football followers and the football media are absolutely obsessed with transfers and people are talking about how Tottenham are doing very well this season despite not signing any players. I think the cohesion from last season and the season before has done them wonders and I just wish more clubs would uh, you know, treat football in that way. Yeah, the, 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 the slight irony to all this is that if a, if a transfer ban does help Chelsea, it helps their backing of a salary project. Um, you know, the, dealing with the players you've got, trying to make them work under your um, new system, having an added patience, you know, in, kind of in the perception of the media because you aren't able to buy players and the media is obsessed with buying players. Um, and it comes at exactly the time when Chelsea are probably considering bringing someone new in. But they've succeeded through this kind of short-term cycle of managers and of players well if half of that is taken away from you in that you can't buy players mm. then I, I suspect that the managerial short-termism also you know is kind of undermined by that so I think it, it gives more credence to sticking with Sarri which is probably the thing that Chelsea don't want to do at the moment. In practical terms how does it affect deals like Pulisic who is supposed to be coming does that already yeah that's, that's, that's done that's done that's, he's just only been loaned back hasn't he um, right okay, so, so he's fine um, but the, the fact the, that Hazard yes the, in, yes the the two interesting deals are, are Eden Hazard and Callum Hudson-Odoi mm. um, because Hudson-Odoi Sarri was at pains to say that Hudson-Odoi came on yesterday and that's you know it's young minutes in a cup final for a young player blah 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 but actually, that's been one of the things that has undermined him, his lack of trust in youth players. Um, and that is going to be severely tested. It, it, it add, that adds credence to the idea of getting a someone who knows the club. And Frank Lampard has obviously been mentioned. 
because they do they are going to have to trust youth more now if, if they're not going to sell Hudson Adoy they might as well use him it's got but Tim then, Sherwood written all over it <laughs> Hudson Adoy quite conceivably could look at what Aaron Ramsey's gone and I'm just going to run down my contract it, it is a very interesting almost an elevated Leicester City scenario where you've got a manager who wants to play in a certain way that is not necessarily what the Leicester fan base believe they should be doing or believe what they are and you've got higher ups going well the manager possibly is the best man for the job and we probably could stick with him however there is a discord um, how Chelsea choose to negotiate this compared to how Leicester choose to negotiate this will be interesting to see well the first the, the next chapter in this saga is against a Spurs team coming off defeat away at the transformed Clarets <laughs> Burnley beating Spurs 2-1 Dino says is it possible that on current form Tom Heaton is the best English goalkeeper in the Premier League and should be given the nod over Pickford in the international uh, upcoming internationals yes yeah I, I mean yes yes yeah. I think yes yes very in form England goalkeeper it should be said very briefly on Burnley that it isn't just Tom Heaton coming in Dwight, they've started picking Dwight McNeil uh, who is not just a good young player, but he's a good young player at Burnley, which is very unusual. Uh, it's kind of given the fans something new to get behind. They have gone back to basics, but they've also now got a kind of quick young threat on the counter-attack, which they absolutely have never had before. So that's mm. helped. Eight games without defeat. Only Man United are on a longer unbeaten run right now. Uh, they have moved six points clear of the drop. Chris Woods got six goals in their last eight games. Four in four from Ashley Barnes. Also, it does seem a different mentality. Is that fair from Sean Dyche? After Spurs equalised, Burnley continued to to go for the win. Yeah, maybe. I think um, what was notable. Sorry, what was notable about this game was that Spurs just never were able to get into their rhythm because Burnley just made it so stop start, so physical, so scrappy. Um, I thought Burnley's tactic was very obvious in terms of um, almost ganging up on Juan Foyth, who was uh, playing right-sided centre-back, who I think is a really talented young player, but has had a couple of difficult games. Away at Wolves, he considered two penalties. And here, I think he was a little bit overawed by the physical challenge. And I think maybe that's something that Pochettino has to take the blame for, because um, you know he deliberately chose a three-man defence to play against Burnley's front two, which makes sense. But you tend to think if you've got Older World and Vertonghen, they can handle themselves. Probably the best centre-back partnership in the country. So I was surprised that Pochettino did that. And I was also surprised that he, I think, contributed to breaking up Spurs' rhythm in the second half by bringing on Llorente. Hmm. Um, and I think Llorente's done a good job in recent weeks. And I think he's been a little bit patronised at sometimes, And it's good to see that he's been scoring goals. But... Burnley want to play against players like Lorente. You know, they don't mind battling for aerial balls. They're troubled by Kane and Son, and those guys were on the pitch, obviously, but it changed Spurs' approach, and it was almost like they went towards the, the style of football that Burnley wanted to, right. to play against. You were in a sentimental mood this weekend, Michael. Uh, did that extend to feeling sorry for Mike Dean? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought Pochettino's uh, conduct at the at full-time whistle was absolutely disgraceful. No, genuinely, I thought it was... Uh, quite rare you see that level of aggression uh, from a from a manager or a player towards a referee for such a sustained period. So what was he so upset about? I, I didn't see the lip readings. Uh, there were a couple of wrong decisions. I mean, certainly the the corner for the um, Burnley's first goal wasn't a corner, but it was a pretty tough decision to call two players either side of the ball. The ref can't see, the linesman can't see, and that was quite a long time. It wasn't the thing that changed the game really. I don't know. I, d- I don't know what he was complaining about really, and I. I do feel a little bit sorry. For, I know Mike Dean brings it on himself with his gesticulations, but people are so kind of disrespectful towards referees. I mean, the, you know, he's shown the most red cards in Premier League history, and the reason he's shown the most red cards in Premier League history is because he's refereed the most games. It's not easy to become a Premier League referee. You have to work your way up to the top. You're assessed every game by expert ex-referees. You have to justify every decision, and he's stayed there longer for anyone else during the period of the Premier League. He must be doing something right, and I think it's worth... You know, considering the evaluations of the assessors rather than, you know, Dave Spurs 1961 off Twitter or whatever who says he's useless. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Daniel? Is it, well, Man United and Liverpool? Mm, I think so. Do you remember on, on Football Weekly about three years ago, there, oh, yeah? there was a Man United-Liverpool game and on the Monday show, we just forgot to talk about Did it. Did we forget to yeah. talk about it? We could, we could adopt the same protocol. <laughs> yeah, I quite liked it. It was just a rubbish game and we just, not even just went, this is a rubbish game, let's not bother. Just well, forgot. you know what? I mean, 
there were talking points here, and Liverpool, one of them is Liverpool have gone top of the league. We probably do have to do it. Well, they kind of were anyway. I mean, is that glass half full? They're one point clear. Is it half empty? They, they were seven points that, clear. <laughs> or we could talk about Man United and where this run of injuries and the extraordinary three they picked up in what twenty five minutes mm. on Sunday, where that leaves them ahead of their big game this midweek, mm-hmm. which, correct me if I'm wrong, sees them return to Selhurst Park. In echoes of a famous Crystal Palace Man United game of yesteryear, yeah, so Daniel. Back to front in the Manchester United Liverpool on Sunday was Cantona's return, uh, famous return, and Crystal Palace away on the Wednesday is was Cantona at the start of the affair. So yeah, very neat for people trying to hawk Times books arrow. out. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I thought it was a a poor game but a poor game kind of through circumstance and uh, that was even before the injuries. I feared before the game that both teams and both managers would probably have been happy with the point Liverpool to go back top of the league and Manchester United to stop Liverpool going surging further clear. Um, But the circumstances of that match pushed the ball into Liverpool's court and should have told them that they needed to go out, particularly in the second half after Klopp had been able to talk to them at Mm. half-time and go out and try and grab the game. Klopp, in his post-match, said... Manchester United injuries um, put us off stride and obviously that was predictably kind of mocked on social media but actually I can see how that happens I can see how you have a tactical plan to deal with and that includes you know Juan Mata and Jesse Lingard for example are very different players so I think you know I can see how that happens but they all went off in the first half so as soon as half time comes and Klopp has 15 minutes to talk to his team and come up with a new plan mm. and there was no excuse for the second half performance which was incredibly limp uh, you have to worry about that front three now because they've had they had a 10 day break of warm weather training and they, they look knackered uh, Salah it's not just knackered but on crutches in Lingard's we, in, in um, Firmino yes, yes. Uh, Salah is, is bang out of form I don't know if he's tired I mean we should remember that he effectively spent the whole of last summer overcoming or playing through uh, that shoulder injury uh, and has played pretty much constant football either side of it. But he, yeah, he just looks so off form. First touches are poor, um, not linking with anyone. Daniel Sturridge and Divock Origi as the two kind of backup options just aren't good enough. Mm. And they've basically got to hope that, that the size of the situation and what they can grasp kind of clicks everyone into gear and makes everyone spark again because it's not happening at the moment. All right. I, there was one moment I particularly enjoyed of the game when Lukaku put the ball through to Lingard and then Alisson came up with that remarkable yeah, save. Manchester United had the two best chances of the game mm. despite not trying to create chances after the first 15-20 minutes of the match. So. so up next for Liverpool is Watford on Wednesday night who they have an absolutely terrific record against. Are you aware of their record? Vaguely, yeah. Well, over the past two seasons it was 5-0 to Liverpool at Anfield against Watford and 6-1 and then uh, last November they went to Vickers Road and did them 3-0 but this is a very different Watford isn't it? It is Javier Or is it? Yes yes Watford are a lot more robust they're they're, Will Hughes replacing Tom Cleverley is is a bit a heck of an upgrade Um, and, and they they're just hard to break down. They very much have a system. Their fourth goal against Cardiff on Friday had the hallmarks of what social media football fans like to clip and share over and over and over again. Watford are a solid side and this Liverpool side aren't clicking. I was very surprised by Klopp's substitutions. I think he got the substitution profiles wrong. I think he should have brought on Shakiri when instead he chose to bring on Daniel Sturridge. Um, they were really tentative going forward. They didn't really test David De Gea. I'm pulling a face right now that is a bit like someone put vinegar on my top lip. Don't really know what's going on with Liverpool. Uh, something's not clicking. Um, they are still top of the league. Yes. Will and they yet... be after this midweek? I wonder. Because City have West Ham at home and Liverpool. Could Watford spring? Could could the best run club in the Premier League, in your words, Daniel? <laughs> mm. They won 5-1 at the weekend. Yeah, and they absolutely battered Cardiff. That that, that move for the fourth goal, uh, Opta Joe tweeted, that is the, the longest passing sequence for a non-Big Six team to score a goal since, I think... September 2014 or something, which is an incredibly long-winded stat, but basically says that there's a club in rude health, everyone knows what they're doing, everyone's working towards something, and yeah, they've kept, I know they conceded against Cardiff, but they've kept six clean sheets in nine, everything's working, but... There's I think it's the, the kind. It's the kind of away win that makes that up. make. Yeah, but it's the kind of away win that makes players think. Well, it doesn't really matter what happens at Anfield now, which is a horrible thing to say, but I think that Liverpool will win. Okay, so what then of Man United and their trip to Palace on Wednesday? Palace in absolutely terrific form. Who'll be meeting indeed Watford in the next round of the FA Cup, as it happens, fresh from getting pool 
the corner flag <laughs> photo, can they do Man United? Oh, well, what, whatever Man United can, Solskjaer can can put together because how many players are out? Matters out, Lingard's out, is Rashford out? Rashford's yep. out, yep. Matic also out. Yes, yep. Yeah, uh, and Herrera possibly as well. Will Fred play? They'll <laughs> probably play Phil Jones as a central midfielder, I think. Instead I'm, of I feel the way very going. sorry for Fred, who it is becoming very clear that Fred was signed to replace Paul Pogba as Mourinho wanted to continue his civil war. The plan was, I'll buy Fred, I'll push Pogba out the side. So do you think Fred was a Mourinho signing? Then? I think Fred was a Mourinho signing to replace Paul Pogba, and now that Pogba's decided to be Paul Pogba again, Fred's sort of been, uh-oh, uh-oh. He's, he's, he's the problem where he's the wrong legacy signing. He's not as good as Paul Pogba. He's not as defensive-minded as Nemanja Matic. He's not a dressing room favourite in the same way as Ander Herrera. Right, so oh, he's, who's another one who's out, of course. Yeah. So he's just sat there going, oh, dang, well, at least I've got time to spend with my new son. Well, this, this then is a huge opportunity for Palace lying in 13th place, currently six points off the drop, to grab a fat three points, Michael. For Palace? Yes. Yeah, they look good. I mean, Zaha looks back in form, scored two goals. Batshuayi uh, looks a lively addition. Yeah, I can't work out no. whether he meant that goal or not. Yeah, I mean, he's a good signing, certainly. And, and you know, most importantly, the signing annoyed Daniel uh, for, <laughs> you know, mid-season loan signings. So oh, that's right. a positive in many senses. Yeah, agreed. I think it's great that Palace now have a entertaining, confidence-high striker after having Christian Benteke for so long. Benteke has never been the same since he suffered that Achilles injury in his latter days at Villa, I believe. And... and Reports said he lacked the um, character, character to uh, last that lifestyle. Top. No, no, not lifestyle. Just simply, he he very much is a confidence player. You could, you know, he he does a bicycle kick and it hits the the crossbar, and you could see his head just go. Oh, all right, fine. And you 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 hope sometimes when Benteke goes for shots that they go in because you want. I want Christian Benteke to be good again. When was the last time he was good? Villa. Which what four four years ago? Yeah, he actually had a very good goals to minutes record at Liverpool. I mean, he was unfortunate he was signed, um, you know, by Rodgers, and then they changed manager straight away. But mm. that season, you know, he didn't fit into their style of play. But he was scoring goals and he scored uh, that amazing overhead kick, didn't he? He did. He did, yes. And uh, I still think he could come good, Benteke. I mean, he's getting into the positions. He's, you know, you mentioned confidence. I don't think a player completely lacking confidence tries a bicycle kick, to be honest. Um, and I think it's inevitable that they'll look sad if it doesn't go in. But, you know, Batshuayi is only there on loan. I'm not sure he'll sign permanently. I think he'll be looking to aim a little bit higher. So it'd be nice if Benteke could come on as a plan B, score a couple of goals and maybe give him a, another go next year. And it was also nice to see um, Jordan Ayew played a big part in mm. one of Zaha's goals. And, mm. um, he's an inconsistent player, but fits into Palace's mentality. And... Um, yeah, good to see him doing well. Jeff Schlipp being moved into midfield was also quite interesting. He's normally a fullback and offered just a little bit more in uh, vertical play. So getting the ball up even quicker for Crystal Palace, which that's how they're best at. I think, yeah, I think Palace will be out of the woods in terms of relegation struggles. And I mean, Zaha will enjoy the gap between Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof because it's there to be exploited and someone's going to find the way to do it. So why not him? Can we give a shout out to Hodgson for becoming the oldest ever Premier League manager? Uh, I know it's been said before, but uh, I think it's a great story going back to his hometown club. And also, when you look at uh, what players have said about him, particularly with England, but also Palace, yeah. he has a really good bond with these, you know, 21, 22-year-old young kids. And Milosevic uh, at the weekend yeah. said, incredible, saying, you know, he's the greatest manager I've worked with in terms of making us all feel better than we can be. Now, I, I don't know the full list of managers that he's worked under, but it's a compliment in... To to a kind of an older statesman manager, and much as Mike Dean, if you've been doing it for that long at that level, and yeah. he's what in his fourth decade of management, yep, then you're clearly doing something right. Well, yeah, they're up, they're they're above Burnley right now on goal difference. They're they're only four points off the top half of the table. Mm. Palace, uh, Man United, who they're facing this midweek, Solskjaer. Because I, I want to also ask Carl where you stand on the give Ollie the job or not. <laughs> question but Daniel I just uh, on the injuries this weekend Solskjaer Manchester United coped with them very well and Solskjaer came out with pluses rather than minuses but it should be said that he did play a role in those injuries he brought on Jesse Lingard who by all accounts was kind of 25% fit and to be used in case of emergency in the last 10 minutes if United needed a goal and he, he didn't only bring him on when he wasn't fit he also brought him on when Marcus Rashford was already limping really badly 
which seems a very odd thing to do to take that risk on a player when you've got you've already used two substitutions and you've got another player that's limping. I know that he clearly doesn't particularly rate Fred at the moment, but there was an argument to bring on Fred and just move Pogba to the top of that diamond and see what he could do because he brought on Lingard and Lingard basically lasted nine, ten minutes and then got injured. Uh, so that was a silly thing to do, I think. Carl, give him the job or not? I've never wanted Oli to last past uh, this season. I think it it's much... He's a disposable manager. Not you. disposable. I think he, if Manchester United are doing what Chelsea did when mm. they removed Mourinho, which is you hire in someone who's well-liked to reclaim the dressing room, you go on a good spell. Wait, so when Chelsea brought in Gusiddink, they went 15 games unbeaten. They went up to 10th. All things were good. Then they went off and got the manager they won. I think Manchester United should do that in the same way that Eden Hazard wasn't playing very well because Marina was bullying him and then decided he was good again. I think Pogba's going through that. If you're going to copy what Chelsea did to replace Mourinho, please copy what Chelsea did and don't hire the stopgap. Right. I think he's already... Who do you want, Carl? That's the problem. I don't know. I, I, in my head, there is an idea that someone out there is better and Pochettino who is should, the man, if possible. Who should Carl want? Yeah, I think I think if they're sticking to their guns then Mauricio, and, and they think they can get Mauricio Pochettino, then do it. But what Solskjaer has given them is that if they have any inkling that Pochettino might turn them down, which would not be a good look for Manchester United, it enables them to appoint Solskjaer. And, and the PR is, well, he's shown him this is the guy we want. He's accrued so much goodwill. We don't want to lose that, so we'll carry on with Solskjaer. Mm. But if they can get Pochettino, it would be a huge change of their initial plan if they suddenly went for this guy who was only ever intended to be a very short-term option. But... It can work. Pochettino, you should hire. Because if, if only because you do the Bayern Munich method where you strengthen yourself and you weaken other people. If if it is six if six into four cannot go, you may as well go get a manager from one of your other rivals and critically undermine them as well as improve yourself. Yeah, I like your thinking. I like your thinking. Uh, let's talk about Leicester then. Who's going to be their next manager after Claude Puel went? Am I right in saying that Leicester didn't actually play that badly? 27 shots. 27 shots, mm. but they lost 4-1 mm. to this... That's not the only reason Poor got sacked, but yes. OK, so the cup runs that had mm-hmm. ended so disappointingly. The bad home record. The terrible home record. This was, I think, what, their fourth home defeat in a row? Mm-hmm. They've only won four home games, yeah. Mm. Um, Who are they going to get next? Well, I... I... Rumours have Brennan Rodgers. There, yeah. There's been talk about how much it costs to extricate him from Celtic. I think he would not be a good choice. Oh, I think I think he, I think Rodgers would be a great get for Leicester. I, th- I I I think he might prefer to go to a club where he can. Uh, Newcastle jumps out as the obvious example where Ala Benitez he can feel like he is the the kind of embodiment of the town and he's got the full city behind him. Which you don't. No offense to Leicester, but you they're a good local club. But you don't get the sense it's that footballing hotbed. I think Rodgers might prefer that, and that, I think that might take him abroad if he turns down Leicester. But um, I think he'd be a great get for Leicester. Um, the problem that Leicester have is, uh, and I've said it on here before, is that they're kind of destined to live this groundhog season syndrome because nothing can ever match up to 2015-16. So, I, I, I mean, I, I would hesitate to suggest that the reason that people there aren't happy is, is this season is that they're not winning the title. I mean, I think that they they'd be no. plenty happy with with you know, decent performances getting into the Europe. Yeah, league, but, I, but the, the the extension of that syndrome is that. If, you, if the destination is never going to be as good as it has been, then you might as well enjoy the journey. And at the yeah. moment, they're not even enjoying the journey. So if you can get a manager that gives you a good journey, and Brendan Rodgers is probably the British manager that strikes as the obvious man who does that. You know, it is fun. It is entertaining. It is uh, back page stuff. Then I think go out and get him. There's, there's talk of David Wagner, which would make sense as a kind of long-term option um and uh, there was a report this morning that said Leicester Wait, um, really why would that make sense well I mean, in that he, he he is he's a kind of club builder um mm. if less if that's what Leicester want then he I think he's the best man for it he's he's also out of work uh and I presume would be up for the job already is in England he will not take another job till the summer from what I hear which means that uh, and there's a report this morning that says Leicester are prepared to wait till the summer. Pretty much every manager they want I doubt they would get until the summer. I can't see Rogers walking out on Celtic now. Um, maybe there's a deal to be done in the summer, but currently they've got uh, first team coaches Mike Stoll and Adam Sadler for the game at home to Brighton on Tuesday. Mm. One option, by the way, if they do go down this interim manager route that's been mentioned is Neil Lennon left Hibs not that long ago, Ooh. and obviously with his history could be a, a kind of useful interim until the end of the season. What, what about Claudio, who's, who will be probably <laughs> out of work by the end of the summer? That has gone really, really badly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, It'll be interesting then. to see um, catering options. Leicester players are always quite Sorry, vocal. Did you say catering options? Catering options uh, in the players' canteen. Leicester players are very vocal on what the new manager does uh, and how that brings about an uptick in form. So when um, Ranieri came in, yeah. uh, the players talked about how they went for pizza, didn't they? They went for pizza, and that's how they clean sheep. That's how they started learning clean sheep. Then when Shakespeare came in, it was yeah. very much he brought back chicken bugs and chips. I imagine the next manager, they'll go on a streak and win three or four games. Like, yeah, they brought back yogurt or something or other. I, I don't think yogurt <laughs> would do that. I think that you're looking at a bar being su- successively raised, and I don't think yogurt. Dirty anyway, burgers, sushi. Burgers. I imagine there'll maybe be some sushi. sort of motivational food will be brought or in. Or maybe it'll be stripping Mick back down again, you <laughs> the know, idea taking of, ketchup away. The idea of look, player power is generally seen as a bad thing in football, as a kind of it's a frown and tut. Uh, principle, but Although you mentioned the precedent of Chelsea when they went and won the Champions League. That's possible. Yeah, but my put on Leicester, this idea that Leicester should somehow ignore the feelings of senior players uh, and listen to Claude Puel has built up absolutely no loyalty at Leicester. You've got a player like Jamie Vardy calling the shots. This is a guy who won them the Premier League and then turned down a lucrative move to Arsenal. You can see why fans might prefer to yeah. what he says. I mean, I'm not saying he should choose the next manager, but you can see why keeping him happy might be seen as a priority because he's a damn good striker as well and Puel fell out with him. So Could Leicester get sucked into the relegation race? No. It sounds like madness. They're eight points clear, but they're not beating anyone at the moment. You know what their last three fixtures are this season? Arsenal, although it is at home, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, you already saw um, yourself into that corner. Yeah. Arsenal at home. All right, but then City and then Chelsea. Oh, I got think Brighton at home this this midweek on Tuesday. If they win Who that, are now in the relegation. Yeah, if they win that, then they will be uh, eight points ahead of Brighton with 11 games left or eight, ten games left for them and that'll be enough. All right, well, Brighton are just three points off the drop themselves. Uh, although they do have a game in hand because they were not in action this weekend. We'll talk more about the relegation situation and uh, we'll do some kind of admiring of Almiron and all that kind of thing. Uh, very, very shortly, we'll round up uh, events abroad after this. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always used the same brand of tea bags. I always drink in the same pub hey, mate, mate. Hey, doing, mate? and always support my country. A huge defeat for Wales. Questions will be asked of the manager. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. Season season by 18 plus begambleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Michael, you were all over Fiorentina Inter, the Artemio <laughs> Franchi on... Uh... Sorry, mate. Oh, Daniel said you'd been watching. I know you watch Inter Fiorentina on Sunday night. Yes, I did. Very, event, very eventful game. Yeah, yep. it certainly was. And 16 seconds in, bang, you already had your opening goal. Yeah, uh, well, the first goal was after 16 seconds and the last goal was in... 101st minute. 101st minute. Yeah. So it was a bit of a marathon session having watched... Two nil nils right. back to back earlier in the day, and the, the, you know the one of the which had gone on for 120 minutes, yeah. which this one wasn't far short of, thanks to VAR. Yeah, the, it it upheld a decision. I would I would question a handball decision. I, I think VAR is consistently getting handball decisions wrong because the use of slow motion makes everything look deliberate. And I understand that there are some protocols that you're only meant to use slow motion to judge whether it hit the hand rather than intention, but. The only reasonable explanation for this handball decision, which was given for Fiorentina in the last yeah. minute, was that the referee... Wa- I mean, the referee watched it 20 times in slow motion, and it does start to look deliberate, but you see right. it once in full speed, and it's not. Fiorentina had already had play called back and a penalty awarded against them for handball earlier on in the game. It was a... It was a, a I mean, it, there were dull p- patches, particularly when they were going over and over the thing, but there was some yeah. brilliant play, and I did enjoy as well just the, the fact of having these two... It was the derby of managers who looked like Inspector Montalbano if they wear sunglasses, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you had Pioli and, and Spalletti and 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 uh, a three-three draw that saw some some excellent goals. Muriel, oh, yeah. I mean, Fuck. he must be one of the best January signings, or I think it's a loan signing, isn't it? But that was an incredible free kick. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Probably 30, 35 yards, swerving all the way into the top corner was properly good. And all of this, of course, without Inter's number one goal threat, Mauro Icardi, who's uh, 
whose knee injury, and here I'm making those air quotation marks, everybody, uh, continues to see him out of the Nerazzurri lineup. A 3 3 draw, which allowed Milan to creep to two points behind them now in, the, in um, fourth place, the Rossoneri. They had a 3 0 win over Empoli. Mateus Brobovic asking, How good is Christoph Piontek actually? Well, in numbers terms, He's five goals in his first four Serie A matches for Milan, good, and seven in his first five in all competitions. And, and particularly, the goal he scored the previous... This one was a... The, I don't know if you saw it. it was the, He finished off a very well-worked Milan move against the admittedly poor Empoli. But last weekend, the goal he scored against Atalanta, where he basically volleys it back over his shoulder... And uh, It was an extraordinary piece of uh, skill and coordination. He's better than... Milan thought, isn't he? Yes. I, I imagine so. We brilliant scouting from Genoa who got him for for about four million back in back in the summer. Milan paid a, a lot more, I think thirty-ish million yeah, euros. Quite a high fee, yeah. Uh, but he's he's so complete. I mean he can do everything. Yeah, proper good or um number nine. Bomber, is that what they call him in Italy in Italy? Bomber. In Bomber, yeah. yeah. Well, the bomber, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that was that and uh, great for Milan and Roma also won, but the up at the top Juve remain 14, 13 sorry, points clear of Napoli, who they will be meeting next week. Napoli did Palma 4-0 at uh, the uh, Ennio Tardini. Yeah, I liked uh, Milik scored a very clever under-the-wall free kick, Ooh. which I always like, just because if it goes wrong, it looks so silly, but it looks so cool when it goes in, and this was just very neatly dispatched. Did you see the Europa League draw, Daniel? I did. What did you make of it? It basically kept apart every team you'd want to get be kept apart for the until the quarterfinal stage when it when the competition catches up with the Champions League and right. therefore it kind of feels on a level pegging. Pretty much kept every team apart. I think the only the biggest one I thought was Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, with Inter. With Inter is mm. the the big, um, but that that's because Eintracht Frankfurt have overachieved above not Rafa's expectation, but my expectation certainly in that competition. So Arsenal yeah. got Ren. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea are up against Dinamo Kiev, mm-hmm. and Celtic don't get anyone because they got knocked out in the proudest moment of Brendan Rodgers' career. Yeah, I got a lot of stick for that. So I should say that Rodgers said that it was a very, it was a his proudest moment because they were in the game until the sending off, and then lost three right. on aggregate. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, in Spain. (laughs) (laughs) In Spain, Leo Messi scored the 50th hat trick of his career. Uh, He's he's journeyed well beyond my comprehension of such numbers. I mean, it's another hat trick for Messi. I have Messi hat trick fatigue, if you will. Can you put that in some kind of perspective? How enormous an achievement is this? (laughs) That big. Uh, Football will be pre Messi and post Messi In, in terms of records. Uh, and titles and it's completely warped how we appreciate football the, I think the big La Liga news was the fact that we had a game on ITV4 mm. um, so that was quite nice did Real you watch Madrid. that Leganes against Real Madrid I did not unfortunately I was all footballed out um, this weekend <laughs> didn't watch that game but I watched the Barcelona game delayed okay. it wasn't just a hat trick it was a hat trick of incredible quality the first goal I mean Messi Messi no, come on, no, come on. <laughs> he doesn't score many volleys. He scores great goals. He doesn't score many volleys. That was fantastic. And the thing I liked was that he he scored the hat-trick and then he got the assist for Suarez, who's really struggling at the moment. And it was a really clever assist and a clever finish as well. And to get a hat-trick and then set your strike partner up, I think, is the mark of a top-quality player, Leo Messi and Gerard Deolufeu in the same weekend did that. <laughs> Very nice. A 4-2 win for Barcelona after what had been a slightly stick, sticky patch for them. Uh, they'd had four draws in their last five. They remain comfortably clear at the top of uh, La Liga. In France, Kylian Mbappé scored twice as PSG beat Nîmes, moving 17 points clear at the top because Lille drew at Strasbourg. Down at the bottom, Monaco are now a whopping... Five points clear of the relegation zone. Leonardo Jardim having the best season of his life, and he gets, <laughs> he takes over, struggles. When I said the Europa League draw was almost designed, Leonardo Jardim starts the season as Monaco coach, gets sacked, gets a whacking great payoff, spends a few months in the sun, comes back, and they think they've taken ten points from four games, which was more than they took under in Thierry Henry's twelve games, and 
suddenly they are, I think, five points clear of relegation. Yep, that's what I just said. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two 0 win over uh, over Leon. So you know they, they weren't. It wasn't one yeah, of their Memphis relegation rivals. Memphis penalty, I believe. Yeah, Memphis. And did you see the scenes at the end when um, is it John Michel Olas, the Leon owner? Yes. Uh, he was getting heckled by the Monaco fans as he's as, he, as he's he's leaving. So he, he he goes over to one of them, and says, "Where are you in the table again?" And then <laughs> walks off laughing. Uh, well, anyway, is a fantastic mm. uh, footballing brain. Um, so uh, I only now, wish Jardim was was available for Manchester United. To hide. Well, he he was always my pick. For, was he always your pick? He was always my yeah, pick for Manchester United. Manager. I do recall you saying that. Well, it looks like he'll be at, at Monaco to the end of the season, but then maybe he would. I don't know what kind of a deal he's he re-signed mm. on to. But uh, I don't think loyalty necessarily has to be a question with him after they shafted him midway through the season. In Germany, we have a title race. Mm -hmm. There are only three points between Bayern Munich, who won their game over Hertha Berlin at the weekend, but then saw Borussia Dortmund moving back three points clear after their 3-2 victory over Bayern Leverkusen. James Sancho Mm. again. Yeah, Yeah, he's now... There's four players in Europe's big leagues with tenants. 10 assists this season and uh, that's Messi, Hazard, uh, Joshua Kimmich and now Jadon Sancho. But his goal as well. Yeah, beautiful volley. Fantastic. Very nice. I enjoyed the the momentary pause he did in celebration. He hit it so so emphatically and then sort of stopped, turned around and went, yeah, here I am. I'm the guy. Um, I I always imagine there's some sort of group chat where it's him, Reese Nelson and some other young English players and he's just sending many emojis as everyone's kind of jealous. It is um, an extraordinary collection, a generation of English players. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I find it hilarious that they all more or less come from this region of South London and there are quite a few of them are doing well in Germany because Germany spent ages trying to build these universal players. And I went, oh yeah, pace. That's important too. Get the Englands in. Um, Dortmund needed that. They very much had a difficult couple of weeks, including the Spurs defeat, similar to Liverpool. Um Caught fire really early on, stopped clicking for a little bit, worrying injury profiles. They've had. They should stay the course, but Bayern Munich are the weird death star of European football, so you never know what's going to happen. Right. Three points. Mm. All right. And in the championship, uh, oh, is there a game on this evening, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, I feel sick already. So that's not... Do you? Because it is, <laughs> listener, a little bit of a. That was a little conceit for me there. It's for, Forest against Derby. It is, yes. Derby it's... lying seventh, Forest down in ninth. Four points between them. Derby just outside the playoff positions. Forest still maintaining ambitions, no? Oh, always ambitions, but I don't think they'll finish in the top six. Really? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's my least. I think you can rule football fans into two camps, those that really look forward to their local derbies and those that absolutely hate it and consider it the worst game of the season. I'm very much in the second camp. Could you also tell the listeners what you told me uh, about the significance of this fixture in... in... Oh, yeah. So I play uh, five-a-side at Power League on a Monday night and this is deemed such a big game that all fixtures have been cancelled at Power League on Monday evening um, because so many teams request to play at 6.30 on the night of this game and therefore get done by 20 past 7 that Power League say, no, all no games one. are off if no one can play. Brilliant. Which is, that's when you know it's a real derby. What will you be doing instead then, Daniel? Uh, I'll be um, drinking through the pain or the pleasure. All right. There's also hostelry. the new Alan Partridge thing starting this evening, isn't yes. there? There is. It's, it, 9.30. It will, yeah, I will not be watching it because it will overrun uh, full time. All right. Give that a plug, I'm sure they need it. <laughs> Probably the 15th of April in Leeds or Power League fixtures will be cancelled, Daniel, because we're going to be heading up that way and we're doing a live show, Totally Football Live. It's at the Leeds City Varieties Theatre. Sounds nice. Yeah. I like to think it's lots of little auditoriums all in a row. Like, like you can pick... Tapas Theatre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you can find out all the ticket information, listener, if you move quickly. Cityvarieties.co.uk. Uh, totally Football Live in Leeds, Monday the 15th of April. And if you're listening to this in Liverpool and thinking, well, that's great, but I can't get across then, why don't you come and do a show here? The answer is yes, we will. We're doing one in late March. We'll, we'll keep across our social media accounts for updates on all of those. OK, we've not got long before you need to go, Carl, to address the world on <laughs> CNN. Uh, what are you going to be talking about on CNN? Much much the same as this. All right. Nicking our lines. Nicking your lines. Talking about soy sauce and jambalaya once again. 
Brilliant. I'm going to pretend I understand that reference. I twice described West Ham at the start of the season when I was here. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Is is that a positive? No, no. It was it was uh, Jack Gorsha was the soy sauce. The odd, oh, right. the odd ingredient in uh, West Ham's midfield. Yeah, I don't know what goes into jambalaya, but clearly it's we, not soy sauce. <laughs> soy sauce kind of goes well with rice. Deck rice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, West Ham had us. We're here. We might as well talk about it. West Ham beat Fulham three mm-hmm. uh, one on Friday. What do you think about Friday games? Uh, I think having Ruined two was weird, but mm. I think that yeah. was because of um, some. Secondary sport was being played on Sunday in Wales. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> um, I shout out for I don't know why I sound like a local DJ saying so shout out. Um, Embrace it, Daniel. A word of congratulation to Robert Snodgrass. Oh yeah, who created eight chances on Friday night for West Ham, which is a uh, that's only been beaten once in the Premier League this season. Given that last season he was a loaned to Aston Villa and b even more bizarrely. Karen Brady chose to write a Sun column in which she he, she basically lambasted his signing and said he was nowhere near as good as West Ham thought he was going to be. Fair play to him because he's he's completely reinvented his West Ham career. And um, Pellegrini, sometimes older managers can kind of get set in ways, but Pellegrini seems to have been pretty open to players that are on the fringes of the squad uh, and brought them back in. Uh, a less congratulated word for Javier Hernandez, who... Handballed, deliberately handballed the mm. equalising goal. But there's a, there's a rule in the Premier League now, which is deception of a match official. Right. Um, the the problem is that rule was copied directly, deliberately from Scottish football, where uh-huh. it only applies to dives and faking injury. So it doesn't apply to handballs. So by all accounts, Hernandez cannot be charged for that. Uh, so you have a ludicrous scenario where if you hand the ball on the line, you get a red card, and if you handball the ball into the goal, you get a yellow card. And if you get away with it, nothing happens, which is a complete nonsense, I'd have thought. If you can win a penalty by diving and get a two-game ban, why can't you get a two-game ban for handballing the ball into the goal? Which no, no, completely stupid, but. take your point. And Fulham were 1-0 up at the time, were they not? They were. Ryan Barber in the third? It was yeah. an early goal. Yeah, he'd so... already missed an absolutely golden chance after about 15 seconds. Yes. So. Yeah, it was... Yeah, Fulham are done, I reckon. Um Friday games odd. Friday games West Ham at home even odder. Just this, the enclave of West Ham fans descending upon Stratford Westfield on a Friday evening and created some very uh, odd events in uh, Stratford train station. I think quite a few places in the food court ran out of Sprite by like nine o'clock because they'd right. just been cleaned out. And no doubt the soy sauce and jambalaya was running low as well. Truly, I think uh, Friday night games are good as a novelty about once a season if you're a fan, and you do get some things like. Neville, Neville and Carragher dancing with Mikhail Antonio. Yes. That would not have happened on a Sunday afternoon. But on a Friday night, yeah, yeah. dancing. dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, uh, Friday night's all right for dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Sky Sports team, West Ham move up to ninth there at City on Wednesday. For Fulham, it does look bleak. First promoted side, remember, to spend £100 million or more in a single transfer See? window. And... They've got Saints midweek who have joined them in the bottom three. They might as well sack Claudio Ranieri, by the way. Because Why? because he was brought in to keep them up and they're almost exactly the same team but playing worse football than they were under Sarisi Yukanovic. They're getting more points, but we might have reasonably expected Fulham to improve under Yukanovic as the season went on, mm. as they kind of acclimatised the Premier League uh, and as their signing settled in. And yeah, they, they're absolutely they're wretched. They don't stand for anything anymore. They, they've annoyed their supporters by raising the ticket prices ludicrously. Um, I saw some Fulham fan writing at the weekend calling for like, Scotty Parker is back at the club as a kind of youth or academy coach, I think. And they're talking about, the first team coach maybe even, talking about giving him the job to the end of the season because it, the whole club is, is, not only has this Premier League season been wasted, but the fans are actively less happy than they were you know, than if they just had not even got promoted at all. They've got Saints midweek away, then they're at home to Chelsea, at Leicester, and then they've got Liverpool and Man City. Yikes, doesn't yeah, look good. They're done, yeah. Quickly to round up one or two other matches before CNN get their hands on Carl Anker. Saints themselves coming up for a 2-0 win away at Arsenal on Sunday afternoon. 2-0 loss. Did I say win? Mm-hmm. I meant loss. Arsenal themselves will be hosting Bournemouth midweek. Bournemouth, who had a 1-1 draw with Wolves... Uh, featuring that nasty challenge from Jess, Jefferson Lerma on Jamutinho, who and a great quote from uh, Nuno Espirito Santo afterwards, where he says uh, Jamutinho is bleeding heavily from his mouth. He was not happy at all, and when a short man is angry, it's tough. <laughs> 
He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong, is he? Uh, anyway, now, having cleared those out of the way, that le- means we can f- finish our Premier League section by talking about Almiron and Huddersfield in general. And we should also probably sound clever by, by giving a shout-out borrow your expression, Daniel, uh, to uh, 21-year-old Sean Longstaff, who's not as exotic as their Paraguayan most expensive signing ever, but is being a really key to their recent well, research. they go hand-in-hand hand in that Newcastle supporters were desperate for a cult hero, given that what is happening off the pitch. And firstly, Sean Longstaff comes into the team in December and has been excellent. You know, not not quite as excellent as, as the shouts for him to be England's defensive midfielder excellent, but that's not the point. He's He's... He's shored up Newcastle central midfield at a time when they desperately needed him because Shelby was injured and Key was injured and Hayden was out of form and so on and so forth. And then three weeks later, four weeks later, Miguel Almiron comes into the club as the kind of sexy foreign record signing. Um, Huddersfield are awful. They've taken one point out of the last 16 matches. But The Derby record is still there. Yeah, they're level mm. with it. Just one more point, Huddersfield. Um but yeah, Almiron, he created six chances, but it's not, it's not about really that. It's about that kind of, you know, he, when he came on against Wolves, there was a huge cheer from the away end. When he gets that standing ovation, Rafa's very clever. He brings him off with X minutes to go and he gets a standing ovation. And that's that matters at Newcastle. I know it sounds twee and cliche, but it really does. Um, if they beat Burnley, then if they beat Burnley on Tuesday, which is no gimme given Burnley's form, then mm. they think they're probably safe. They're home or away? They're at home. They're at home to them. You mentioned six goal-scoring chances created, which remarkably is the most that any Newcastle United (laughs) player has created since they got promoted. Wow. Wow, that is impressive. Mm. Amaron is a fantastic player. Despite his diminutive size, is hard-working, really diligent. When he initially went to Atlanta, I almost said Miami, initially went to Atlanta, it was on the proviso that Tata Mantino used the phrase in Spanish, that roughly translates to I want to count with you, which is come join me, we're going to do this thing together and that's why he went. And he's always been one to... That was the same thing that they had written uh, at St. James's. They had a banner, Quiero contar contigo. Yes. I want to count with you. Yes. Mm. I want to count with you, Carl, but we can't. <laughs> Fortunately because not. Because your number's up. Uh, wow. You've got to head over to uh, CNN to talk uh, fancy foodstuffs. And, and other assorted uh, uh, metaphors with them. So many thanks for being with us. It's been a pleasure. While you make your way from the studio, let's hear from producer Ben, who's gone and had a chat with Paddy Power about the midweek fixtures and more. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners, and hello to Lee Price. Lee, let's talk about some of the midweek games. Chelsea have got to take on Spurs. It could be Sari's last dance. Kepper might not start, but give us the markets here, please. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for this one. Just to see he's playing goal for Chelsea. But despite all that carnage in the League Cup final, they are actually the favourites here. It's 11-8, to they take all three points. After all, there was a decent performance on Sunday. Spurs are 2-1, to one, the draw is 23-10. But the real question, who's been playing goal? Kepper is 1-5 to five to retain his place. It's 11-4, to four, poor old Willie Caballero gets a game. Liverpool were absolutely hopeless against Man U on Sunday. City also didn't really threaten the Chelsea goal all that much in their final. Um, But give me the double here on Liverpool scoring four-plus against Watford and City four-plus against West Ham. They've got good records against both of these teams. Well, you wouldn't rule it out, but it might be optimistic after both teams firing blanks on the weekend. If you do fancy it, therefore, there's some real value here. For Liverpool to put four past Watford, it's 11-4, to while it's 13-8 to that City do the same against West Ham. Stick those together and you get around 9-1. to Let's head to the East Midlands. Leicester are looking for another new manager. Give us the markets here, please. It's fair to say we've had this market primed for a long old time. Paul Claw Powell, he's been the on-off favourite in the sack race all season long. And Brendan Rodgers has topped our betting to replace him for some time. As of this phone call, the Celtic boss is odds-on to go to Leicester at 10-11, to while David Wagner has also attracted a lot of attention. He's 5-2. Michael Appleton, who was assistant last season, is 11-2, ahead of Sean Dyche and out-of-work Fox's legend Neil Lennon. And finally, Burnley are on a magnificent run. Newcastle doing pretty well themselves at the moment, so uh, can Rafa end Sean Dyche's unbeaten run, even if Joe Hart doesn't play? Yeah, we can get on board with this one, Ben. Burnley on a good run of form, but Newcastle hardly been doing badly themselves. The Magpies are evens to win this one. Burnley are 11-4 and the draw is 9-4. Either way, feel that both teams are safe now. It's 10 to 1 that Burnley get relegated, 11 to 1 for Newcastle. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. 
Everton. We've gone the entire podcast without referencing them once, Michael. That's fair enough, isn't it? They didn't play this weekend, but they yep. will be in action this midweek when they're taking on Cardiff. Yep. And then at the weekend, crikey, they are hosting Liverpool. Mm. How about that? Michael, what is your week hold? I'm at Sohurst Park on Wednesday night for <sighs> Palace against United. That's going to be a sure. sensational game. I think it might be all right, yeah. You might be building up a little bit. I know, for in, in my head, that's a, this Palace... Earlier on in the season, it wouldn't have been, I don't think, a great fixture. But mm. this pal- Palace against that Man United. Yeah, I, I mean, I do always enjoy going to Palace, especially a floodlit game. Mm. I think I've been to this fixture four years in a row, actually. And have they've you always now? been relatively been... entertaining. Right, OK. And, of course, so redolent of history. And the good news is, you know, back to 250 days and mm. the building of the, the class of 92. And Solskjaer will have to use the kids this time as well. Yeah, talking of Palace anniversaries ah. uh, a year ago today since Aaron Wambasaka made his debut which is remarkable given how far he's come on in that time um, I'd say he's arguably the Premier League's most informed right back which mm. is let's say ludicrous they probably don't want him to play too well against Man United no I would suggest <laughs> no exactly of him being pinched in the summer right well there's a lot of talk of Arsenal perhaps being uh, <laughs> on his trail now uh, Lindsay Hooper will be joining us as I mentioned on Thursday alongside Duncan Alexander and James Horncastle. So hopefully listeners will be making time for us and that in your schedule sometime on Thursday afternoon. For now, it's many thanks to the departed Carl Anker, to Daniel Story and Michael Cox, and you, listener, we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.